Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 4-in-1 Real Forno Show. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Vikings. They are 4-in-1, and they've had struggles. What does that mean? How should we project this team moving forward? And we're going to celebrate a little bit, because this Vikings team is 4-in-1 and 3-0 in the division. Let's ride. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Writer at NBC Sports Edge. Contributor at USA Today's Vikings Wire, Sports Illustrated's All Seahawks, and founder of Substack Run and Shooter, as well as a member of Climbing the Pocket. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, as I send out the tweet that Dave just did, because I... I got startled by my puppy, who is hanging out in the room today. Um, those of you who don't know, his name is Odie, and he's being a good little boy chewing on a little piece of plastic. It's a toy, um, and he's having a good time. But guys were 4-1, and one, and there's a lot of good with this football team, um, mainly the record. Um, what was really interesting, Dave, when I was doing some of my research this morning, the Vikings have started 3-0 in the division three times. In the past 20 years, one of them was 2003, and we won't rehash how that season ended. Um, One of them was 2009, and we know how special that season was. And then the third was 2015, where Mike Zimmer ended up going and beating the the Lions and the Bears three total times before they had that loss to the Packers at TCF. And they ended up, really, they should have won that wildcard game, and we all know how that goes. But... This team is has set themselves up for success, and I don't really think that can be understated enough. Now, I want to preface this episode with this. While it is really good that the Vikings are 4-1, and one, and if anybody tells you that it's bad that they're 4-1, and one, they can hit the bricks. They're dopes, and they don't really deserve to be listened to in this context. But we are going to talk about stuff that needs to improve, because while the Vikings are 4-1, and one, if they continue some of these things... It will be a net negative for this football team, and it will prevent them from winning games. Yeah, but we should expect some improvement over the areas we have concern over. Yes. Exactly. And that's we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the Kirk. That's kind of been the theme of the last three weeks, right? And let's start by talking about QB1 because he was tremendous in the first half. He started off the game 17 for 17, which set two team records. One of them was actually both of them were Tommy Kramer's uh, consecutive passes made completed, which is 18 and then consecutive passes made to start a football game. Odie. Yeah. Odie's hyping that up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that that's set at 17. Odie enough, you little shit, but he may have beaten Tommy Kramer's records, right? But Tommy Kramer mm-hmm. gets style points. Because Tommy Kramer did it hung over from a ginormous party the night before. <laughs> he was probably pissing in his Packers urinal too, which all-time stuff. Mm-hmm. So, listen, I'll say this. That was tremendous. He was calculated. He had 41 attempts yesterday. Dave, would you believe not one of them was in a tight window? Yeah, that was – he mentioned that – or somebody mentioned that today that there was no contested catches. There, it was guys were open, and why is that? What's one of the reasons that could cause that? I wonder. Separation, easy, um, and that separation can come from a multitude of ways. And the main way the Vikings are creating separation is scheme. 
Now, you do have three really good route runners, including Justin Jefferson, who you could argue is the best route runner in football. Um, They're able to create separation with explosiveness, quickness, and really being able to uh, utilize little nuances like shoulder fakes. You you flip, Mm -hmm. like if you're running an out route to the left and you flip your shoulders like going right, then you can uh, confuse the cornerback. All of a sudden, they're veering this way and then boom. All of a sudden, you're off to the sidelines, and he's not following you. So those little nuances make such a big difference in route running. But also, Kevin O'Connell has done a fantastic job in getting these guys open organically. Um, Defenders call them pick routes. Offenses call them rub routes. By having two (laughs) players meet at a certain point. It's all about perspective. Yeah. Create traffic so then you can get open, all right? The Vikings have utilized this a lot, um, and Justin Jefferson uh, got flagged for pass interference because of it because he extended his arms one full block. You can't do that. You have to at least fake it, and that is honestly the biggest difference between pass interference and a successful rub route. So what they did here is Jefferson just kind of ran his body almost like a – uh, like a stick figure without arms and just kind of ran right into the defender. And that's what you got to do. You have to make it look legit, even though you know you're bending the, and manipulating the rules. So those little nuances made a difference. Plus, just getting guys open in space. So one of the easy, some there are some easy concepts that allow this. And by just having your receivers bunch up and do three separate things, you can create space. Um, air raid offenses do this a lot where you'll have like a running back jet out and occupy the shallow defender. And then you'll have like a little, like a little crossing route here and then a wheel route from the tight end. All of a sudden, one of those is going to be open because there's one defender that's put in conflict and then boom, you have a big play. Those little things make a massive difference for the Minnesota Vikings when they're trying to move the football through the air. And when you have cousins who's wheeling and dealing like he was, even though he's doing a lot of shorter throws, he's finding wide open receivers and he's taking advantage of what the defense gives him. Now, ideally, you want to see the ball travel farther down the field. But when you're that effective, it really doesn't matter if it's five yards, 15 yards, anywhere in between or outside of it. He yeah. was dealing and he was fantastic on Sunday in the first half. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that little dink and dunk from the West Coast system. When it's operating, it works great. It's just you move mm-hmm. chunks at a time, not big chunks, little chunks. Defense wants to play back. You take it underneath, and you just keep marching down the field, and that's what happens. Now, how mm-hmm. bad of a rough day did Kirk Cousins have? Uh, it, it was inconsistent. I think that's the best way to put it. it the, he played a three-part game. He was tremendous. He was bleh to bad, and then he came up clutch at the, the end. The third quarter, and, yes. Yep, and the tough part about Kirk Cousins is it's kind of been a theme all season. He's played parts of games, and parts of games he's played tremendously well, and then he kind of disappears. And one of the themes from the Mike Zimmer Vikings is they would never put their foot on the throat and take somebody out. They would never be that aggressive. We saw the Bills get that aggressive against the Steelers yesterday, going up 31-3 to at the half, and then they're like, okay, we're up. then they got up 38-3, and then they took all their starters out, and that was the final score. No big deal. Which is fine. Okay? But they put their foot on the throat and took them completely out of the game before they took their starters out. Smart strategy. The Vikings haven't done that yet. They have not decided, hey, we are going to absolutely destroy these guys and then just put the foot on the gas and really make sure that they can't come back. And, and we thought to me, that- that's... We thought that was going to be the case when they went up 21 to 3. We thought they're just going to keep pouring on the coals. We asked for it, right? To make sure that the Bears wanted to, you know, warm up the jet and leave at halftime. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Unfortunately. No, it uh it when didn't I, happen and that that's the tough part. When I was hitting that, how many pressures did Kirk Cousins have? Oh, I should have known you were going this way. Um, I believe the answer is five. Mm-hmm. 
And three of those were from Matt Ingram. Now, I wrote a piece for the Vikings Wire earlier this morning where I talked about how good the offensive line has been. And Ed Ingram right now, uh, for players that have played 20% of snaps, ranks 33rd of 71 offensive guards. Now, the reason why that's important, all I have been doing in this space is begging for an average offensive line. Guess what? They've delivered. The Vikings line across the board is at least average. Ed Ingram has had That's his struggles, but he's also yeah, he's also had a lot of positives. And you can really see a progression where he's going to keep trending up. And he's going to be a very good guard. Ezra Cleveland has had a similar start, and now he is a really good guard. Those nuances make a big difference as you continue to look and grow this football team. So And that give that makes to bring it back around to where we started, that makes Kirk Kirk Cousins a lot more comfortable because he's not getting pressured. He's seeing what's developing in front of him a little bit better. And he you take that with schemes, he's finding open players and he's making the connections. And that's exactly what we want to see this season because it can develop. It is you get better and better and better at doing it, we're going to be a top five offense by the time the playoffs come around. And you've got to remember, even with the flaws that we see on the Vikings today, and there are some, those that say, hey, we're four and one, everything's great, you can't criticize the team, they're looking in rose-colored glasses. There are some deficiencies on this football team, especially we worry on the defensive side. But even on the offensive side, there's things that could get better. But what we've seen this season, what is different from previous, the last two seasons, is we are improving week to week to week to week to week. And we're building, as Mary said, they played with confidence. We're building confidence. Uh, uh, One of the things heard today was somebody said they're building up scar tissue, right? With this lack of, you know, production in the third quarter, but yet they're... They're on these ugly games, making being able to come back. That builds not only confidence; it builds the ability to know the the trust in yourself and the improvement that hey, just because whatever happens in the third quarter and we only score one point two points per average in the third quarter, we know we can fix that, and we are going to work to fix that so that when we can put a boot on the throat of the team that we're working to doing just that, just like the Buffalo Bills, right? We want to see them be able to do that. And we're seeing positive movement in that direction on top of we're four and one. We own the division. We've swept them in the first three games. You can't knock how much of an advantage that is right now. Yeah, do we play them all again? Yes, we do. Do we play them late? Yeah, especially Green Bay and Chicago, you know, in weeks 17 and 18. We do, but we're building up that psychological advantage, the momentum advantage, right? Momentum was a big deal yesterday. Momentum changed when Chicago started to get back in. Call it the big Mo, and I'm not referring to the battleship. However, we could look at it that way. If they can take that and then build on that and then learn to turn on that momentum, that big Mo, they can ride this further than any team has done probably since that wonderful season of 2009. That's, that's a good thing. So we should, uh, um, we should embrace that. It's fantastic. Dave, absolutely we should embrace it. This team has done a lot to put themselves in, in a position for success, and I think we should celebrate it. And there are a lot of little nuances kind of within that that, that we need to talk about. One of those things, um, I'm going to have to minimize the screen because I, ha- I have a YouTube 
page up and all of a sudden I just keep seeing you talk because it's lagged from what, what I'm looking at here. And it was just driving me absolutely bonkers. Um, we've had a lot of talk about Kirk Cousins and then Justin Jefferson. Now we have the offensive line. Dave, I want to transition a little bit to the defense here because one of the tough parts about really understanding this defense is the slow progression of Daniil Hunter in adapting. And defense coordinator Ed Donatel talked about it earlier last week. And the numbers haven't been there. Last season, in the seven games that he played, Daniil Hunter had six sacks and 30 pressures. So when you kind of boil it down, he played a half a game. Okay, so that let's go like 30 games and basically six and a half games. That's roughly five pressures a game and about a sack a game. Okay, this season, after yesterday, he has two sacks and 10 pressures. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not 100% fair to characterize Daniil Hunter's start as a failure, but you can absolutely tell that he has not had the same impact on the game as he has had in previous seasons when he's been healthy. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of nuances that you have to deal with. You're standing up all the time. You're not putting your hand in the dirt. Your lead foot can be different. Just the way you approach things. Plus, you have to drop into coverage a little bit more often. There, there are nuances. And I'm not concerned about his start, his slow start. And honestly, we shouldn't be either. This defensive line is really one as a group. Um, you had uh, DJ Wadham, who has 12 pressures on 96 pass rush reps. You have Dalvin Tomlinson, who's got over 10 uh, pressures. You have Zadarius Smith, who now has 17. This is a unit that's winning together. And it's not necessarily because one guy is dominating the stat sheet. One of the things that Hunter has done is because his presence is there, other guys have been able to thrive just inside of him because mm-hmm. he's attracting that much more attention. He's going to f- figure out this defense as the season goes on, and I believe he's going to become more effective, as Ed Donatel kind of alluded to. But I really think that we need to pump the brakes, if anybody's really talking about it, that Hunter's having this slow start because the numbers aren't there, but it's not like he's playing bad football. No, he's he's not. What I don't like is how... He is one of the best defensive ends, edge rushers, in Mm -hmm. football. He can dominate a game. He can literally take over a football game. What I don't like is how, even though, and this is what's got me worried about Ed Donatel. Ed Donatel's wanting to fit everybody into his system rather than modify his system to the personnel he has. And there were plenty of opportunities. You want to put your best defenders on the weakest guys on the offense. There could have been times, and the weakest guys on the Bears was the center. There could have been times they moved him in over the center, especially in passing downs, brought Wanham up to fill his spot, and had him rush that way. But a lot of times he came out of the game. They pulled him, and it's just like, Wait a minute. You want to take advantages of mismatches, whether it be Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith, uh, Tomlinson, or Phillips. You want to create mismatches on that offensive line so you can create havoc. And that's what we need to do is create havoc. If Donatel is, st- he's still bland and very genetic, or generic, not genetic, generic. And what he's calling, because there's been no exotic blitzes, no nothing, um, and his coverages on the back end, and we get get into the back end of the zone coverages he's running, it's real bland. And they're trying to get the guys to communicate well. Well, if he would take, divide it in two, take the front end and the back end, and then treat the front end because the front end are good and say, hey, I'm going to place you in spots or have give Z the power to call it whoever's got the green dot to say, hey, Daniil, move over center. Want him over here, right? And place that. We will do better and get better pressure numbers. Daniil will do better rather than saying, hey, no, you got to stay here and be able to ready to drop in the pass protection. Hey, I played the position. I could do pass protection in the flat if I have to, right? I can do pass protection 
to my side for a screen if I have to. But I'd rather be, and I live for, rushing the quarterback and absolutely ruining his day. And if you had to move me into the interior, I have no problem with that. It is still the same. You've got to be able to create mismatches. I do not see that yet in the Ed Donatel defense. And they're, I want to say, wasting Daniil's talents with that. Because I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with Daniil. He can play from a two-point stance. It's. I don't think it's much. If he's lining up right, he's on the left-hand side, right? The defense is left. The the offense is right. Even if he's in a three-point stance, he should have, well, no, that isn't true. He should have, well, if he's in a three-point with right hand down, he's got his left foot up. If he's in a two-point, he's got his right foot up. And he's got to learn to step with that right foot and into the oncoming tackle or whoever's out there, whoever's on his inside coming to block him, and then do his reads that way. But it's he can do that. There's nothing that says he can't. But when you suddenly throw him back in pass coverage those many times, he wasn't a pass coverage linebacker. That was a bar, Anthony Barr back in the day. He is a pass rusher. You need to optimizing doing that. And if Ed Donatel figures that out, this defense will get better. And they need to because we're going to come up against some teams that may not be able to, we may not be able to hold to, you know, so many low points. I think the defense is averaging what? Giving up 20 some odd points, early 20s. It should be closer to 17. And you need to be able to get pressures. And getting pressures takes relief off the back end, which is his own separate issue. Mary and I talked about it today. We we just talked about utilizing Daniil to Daniil's strengths. Ed should also think about using Harrison Smith to Harrison Smith's strengths. Right? Drop somebody else back. Do something. Change it up. Make it look different. Not just go, this is my defense. I'm putting a piece of tape over it. This is what you're going to do. And if you don't do it right, it's not my defense's fault. No, Coach Donatel, it sort of is. We said this with Mike Simmer. If you do not change to the strengths of your players to maximize them, as a coach, it is your fault. You need to get that better. Hopefully, our defense does. Or we're going when we play Buffalo, we're going to get curb stomped, right? Because Buffalo will run up 40 points on that defense. They've got to figure it out. I'm not worried about the Dolphins, and we'll get into the Dolphins momentarily, but they've got to figure that out. End of rant. And you're on mute. But we are 4-1, and one, people. Rejoice in that. Yeah. We are 4-1. and one. I apologize. I have myself on mute because... Odie is getting into literally everything in here, which of, of course he is because he's not even three he's months a old. Puppy. He is a puppy. I'm not mad at him. It's just it it gets annoying when the wife isn't here, so then I can do this in peace. But she will be next week, and that will make things a lot easier. So one of the big things with kind of how he does these uh adjustments <laughs> is Yeah. You're Odie, right, Joseph. I shouldn't have wore. Well, this isn't exactly teal. This is more Ford blue. But, yeah, I'll be in purple come tomorrow night or Wednesday, guaranteed. Yeah. Um, My biggest concern with the lack of adjustments, Dave, is more so the coverages and understanding, like, hey, the whole idea of this defense is to get pressure with four and then to play uh, soft coverage on the back end to make sure nothing gets behind you. Well, at a certain point, you need to understand that, hey, maybe I should blitz get a little extra pressure, and then take some pressure off of my secondary, which, let's be honest, is not strong right now. 
It's got Harrison Smith, but it's an aging Patrick Peterson, an emerging Cam Dantzler, and a bunch of question marks, honestly. You don't know what Andrew Booth Jr. and Caleb Evans are giving you. Chandon Sullivan is a wild card every single week. and Against like, the pass well, let's, game. He is good against yeah. the run game. Yeah. Uh, my football. big thing is let's utilize some of the ability to get pressure and let's play a little bit more man coverage and ask these guys, hey, cover for two seconds so we can get pressure right away, and then the quarterback has to make a quick decision. Let's mix in some of that. But we're not doing that. We're playing like the 2018 Chicago Bears, who could get pressure in two and a half seconds seemingly every play, had very good corners, including an all-pro in Kyle Fuller, an emerging safety star in Eddie Jackson. Adrian Amos was back there. That was a loaded Bears team. That defense was tremendous. We can't play like that all the time. We don't have the horses to do so. And the lack of adjusting, as you said, we're not adjusting to our players. And we need to be adjusting to our players. Look, do we want to run the style of defense? Absolutely we do. And I think it's a great way to play defense. It's bend, don't break, but it's also relying on your players to be great in the the tasks that they're given. You have great edge rushers? Go rush the passer. Okay, Mm -hmm. seems pretty easy, right? You have great corners? Cover. Just look at what Patrick Sertan II as a rookie did in that defense last year in Denver. They were incredibly successful. That's the kind of thing you want to see from Cam Dantzler. And will he get there? Maybe. But right now, he's not, and this defense isn't. And you're allowing these teams to eat up the ball, control time of possession, get long, sustained drives. Situational football has been bad for this football team, except this past Sunday. They did go 12 for 15 on third downs. The Vikings offense did, which catapulted them from 28th in the league to 7th in the league. Outside of that, our situational football has not been great. And those are the instances that can win and lose you football games, staying on or getting off the field. Mm -hmm. Now, those little instances to help the Vikings secondary and help the pass rush, we're not doing enough of that because we're expecting a scheme that is honestly built to have great pass rushers and great corners then all of a sudden, like, you're not accomplishing that. Why are we not adjusting to it? And for me, that's the biggest frustration. Ed Donatel is in his 60s. And there are really two ways that can go. One, he will adapt to his players because he's seen a lot. Or two, he's seen a lot, so he's making his players do what he wants to do because he knows that he can accomplish it. Right now, the latter's not working. We need to see a little bit more of the former and adjusting to what these players are good at and helping them. Helping the players, making things easy. Like mm-hmm. playing corner in this system is a lot easier than playing corner for Mike Zimmer. Let's just be straight up with that. Mike oh, Zimmer nice. asked a ton of his corners, and th- it was for both good and bad. Now, a ton of Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith yeah. was his wild card. And because and Harrison Harry Smith delivered, was so good, he could do that. G Mac, mm-hmm. yes, the Vikings are averaging more on offense than they are on defense. And that's why we're four and one. We want to continue. We just want to see that gap rather than be 23 points versus 20 being a three-point spread. We'd like to see mm-hmm. a 12 or 14 point spread. And the way to do that is to drive down the defensive numbers and drive up the offensive yeah. numbers. Because when we come up against more elite teams, like Philadelphia is looking to be that way, we don't want to get curb stomped. We know mm-hmm. we got to play Buffalo coming up. We don't want to get curb stomped. We want that contest to be closer and battling for the win. Let's take all the rest and then pad those stats and get better and mm-hmm. learn. And we go on from there. Yeah. That's that's all we're asking. Mm-hmm. And next week, um, when I finalize plans with Nick, we're going to we're going to talk a lot about this defense and really understand why these coverages are being um, utilized and kind of how it can continue to translate. Um, Quang, welcome That's back. I don't Nick think we've seen Olson you in a few weeks. Of Kindred yes. Skulls, by the way. Yes, also uh, a part of the network. And um, so let's, I, you know, as weird as it sounds, Dave, I want to talk about the kicker. Okay. Greg Joseph ha- did not have a great day. This is his second game where he's missed two field goals and did not make one this season. Um, he is now 
I believe it's eight of twelve on field goals, and one I be- for five over fifty. Yep, all four of those misses are over fifty yards. I'm slightly concerned, but I'm not overly concerned because four misses in a row from fifty yards is not good, especially when he showed the ability to continuously make those kicks in the preseason and in week one. But it's it's also over fifty yards, so how can you truly be upset? Well, the rest of the league's running around 75 percent over fifty yards. It's early. Uh, weather plays a factor, but you would think it'd mm-hmm. be good. We play indoors. Now, granted, yes, the last two, the doors were opened on U.S. Bank, but I don't think there's that much wind generated, and I think one of those kicks was in the opposite direction that the closed in. It's, you know, and the one that missed, the, I want to say the 51-yarder, from the angle I saw on my TV... This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys... It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. He just barely missed. But that ball sailed over the upright, right? It was at the very top at 51. So you know he's got leg because there was enough leg it's, to yeah, make it's, 70. Um, it's it's just, not about the distance. It's, it's about fine-tuning it over there. There's been rumors that he doesn't like it off, I think it's the left hash, right? He prefers it off the right hash or vice versa, whatever it was. But when you're at that range where you're kicking a 50-yard-plus field goal, that means you're at 35, 40-yard line. The offense generally Mm -hmm. on third down isn't thinking, all right, we need to set it up for Greg Joseph. Now maybe Kevin O'Connell might, Bring that into a thought. Let me run to the preferred side. Either way, if we make the first down, great. If we don't, we're set up on the right, correct hash, right? Um, but i tell you the truth. I'm not really that worried about it. We He hasn't cost us a game yet. Um, so it'll come back. It's like a golfer. It's going to – he's going to get back into it. I'm not – you may be slightly worried. I'm not. We'll just call it even on that one. 50-50. It's more that I'm worried that this could, like the old saying, shit rolls downhill. That mm-hmm. this inability to make the 50-yard field goals then starts to roll downhill, ruin the confidence. And a lot of kicking is mental. We know that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need to. Ha- there's a physical component to it. But understanding the wind in the stadium, understanding – like how the ball is going to move, how you hit the ball, like all those little nuanced things make such a big difference in terms of kicking that I'm worried that this could end up being just an avalanche effect. And all of a sudden it's not missing 50 yard field goals. We're missing 35 yard field goals. We're missing extra points consistently. And I, I, it's not something I'm super concerned about right now, but it's something I'm thinking about because we've seen it before. We've seen kickers in this town completely lose their confidence and go completely pear-shaped. Yeah, so, but that was because of Mike Zimmer breathing down their throat and can't stand it. And I understand that. Fair. You know? But at a certain point, every coach is going to be like, look, you need to freaking make your kicks, man. That's what I'm paying you for. Like, There's layers and elements to it, and it's just something that I'm going to be keeping tabs on because it is an area that – needs to be successful. And Mary mentions special teams has been disappointing. And I think Mary 
for the Last most part, the there is work. something to it. Where's Kenny Wongwu? After having such a great return uh, year returning the ball last year, he's been mostly a non-factor. And Except for, for he's much got as like a 25-yard return average. What? Really? His return average, yeah. It's better than you think. While, while Tyler looks that up, I'm going to do an unpaid-for sponsorship. My favorite Irish whiskey is Fighting 69th. If you guys ever have a chance to get it, it is liquid happiness in a bottle. Why is it liquid happiness, Dave? There's something about it. The flavor, the feelings, the notes I get remind me of visiting my grandparents in my youth. That usually happened over Christmas or Thanksgiving. The good smells of the cooking and... You know, the apple pie, the cherry pie, the spices, the pumpkin, the turkey going, whatever it was, you know, the stuffing, the all the other stuff. It was fantastic, and it gave me that loving feeling. And for some reason, I have found this whiskey. It's an Irish whiskey, Fighting 69th. Mm-hmm. And it brings what I smell that I taste that, and it brings that memories and those feelings, the, the memories of those feelings, back to me. And it's, it's it's super smooth, and it's very very good. And like I said, unpaid for recommendation. But if you like whiskey, and you like Irish whiskey, try it. Find it. Fighting 69th. It is good. It's reasonably priced. Uh, Plus, one other thing I like about it a dollar from each sale goes back to supporting veterans and military members. And it's at a price point where military can buy it. It's, it's, It's got everything I want. And it gives me that warm, fuzzy feelings, just like when the Vikings will eventually curb stomp. An opposing team here in the future. Mm-hmm. That's the spirit. All right. Yeah. Kenny Wong. Yes, Quang. Point. <laughs> whiskey for the win. Yes. We go from football to whiskey because both make us happy. Kenny Wong, Dave. Mm-hmm. 23.6 yards per return. Okay. It's more than 20. Last year, 32.2. Well, I, I've i seen Kenny, he's come close to breaking a couple. And all he's got to do is break a couple. We're still early. We're only five games into the season. We've got 12 but, uh, more to go. I agree, but he hasn't broken anything close. And it, my big frustration isn't necessarily with Longwood. It's with the return team. I haven't really seen any opportunities for him to get any longer turns because there's been nothing available. He seems to get, like, if he takes the ball a couple yards in the end zone, the second he gets to the 20, he's stifled. And there you go. That's your, like, 23-yard average right there. It's not necessarily his fault, but I'm wondering if maybe that's a weakness of Daniels is not being able to scheme up returners. Because as much as we um, uh, harped on Mike Prefer for mm-hmm. being a bad special teams coach at some aspects – one thing he was great at was the return game. He mm-hmm. was tremendous. Um, and he did such a great job of making sure that there were alleys for guys to run through. And we had returners that were able to hit it. Cordero Patterson, Marcus mm-hmm. Sherrills. Wong did a really good job hitting those holes last year. But is that necessarily a weakness of Daniels? Is it something that he is not going to be the strongest at? Or is it just it's five games and we don't have a big enough sample size. This is just an aberration. Like, it's something I'm I'm going to keep thinking about because okay. it's, well, it's, in, it's an it interesting element to watch. It's, yeah. it's just like Rager and punts. Rager's got, what, a 9 or 10-yard average on punts, punt returns. And my general rule of thumb is a kick returner should get over 20 yards and a punt returner should get over 9 yards because those are generally your averages um, mm-hmm. between what's good and what's bad. You want to be over those numbers to be good and under those numbers to be bad. So let's Dave, put that right. on the bulletin board and let's watch yeah. it as the games progress. 
and I am going to watch it. It's just more that we have a, a sample size, a good sample size of Wong Wu with two touchdowns and a much better return average and being able to bust out long ones. And we haven't seen that yet. And I guess that being that we have that sample size, that's my current frustration. But I think it's more bulletin board material for right now, as you said. Um, and we should honestly move on to talk about the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins oh, sit at three and two. They also run a version of the wide zone, which uh, Mike McDaniel is a little bit more modern and aggressive with his approach than his mentor, Kyle Shanahan. And he uses a lot of shotgun. Um, he has those guys. He, well, he has two dynamite weapons on the outside, which Kyle has never had mm-hmm. in uh, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, And a bevy of running backs that are good, but none of them are great. And he also has a tight end to Mike Kosicki, who doesn't make sense in the offense because he's a vertical weapon and they don't use him as that. And it's it's a very odd fit, but it's also a one-year deal. So, But the big thing, Dave, that we need to talk about is the Teddy Bridgewater revenge game may not happen because Bridgewater uh, was placed in, in the concussion protocol after the first play against the New York Jets, and he did not play the rest of the game. So in came seventh-round pick Skylar Thompson a quarterback from Kansas state. And he went um, 17 of 33 for, no, sorry, 19 of 33 for 166 yards and an interception did not play very well, but he's a seventh round rookie. You can't expect him to come in there and be Tom Brady. Um, well, they and, lost and straight off the bench. You're not, a, you're planning on it either. Look at your boy, Frank Zappa, uh, Zappi who came off the bench previous week, right, and did respectable. But this week, they used him, the patch used him, and they used him to great effect. And he had a fantastic game. And the Mm -hmm. Pats clearly dominated in that win. So if the rookie comes in, he's going to have all week to prepare. But is the rookie coming in? We both hear Tua could be back. Teddy may be back. It wasn't that he didn't pass the concussions protocols. It was the other stuff that they just instituted this last weekend that the guy in the sky said, nope, he's done. But that also means that he is in the protocol. So he will be in the protocol this week, and it'll be on. Mike McDaniel said earlier today, and I'll have a post dropping for the Vikings wire here soon on it, um, that – it is unknown who will start on Sunday, whether it be Bridgewater or Thompson, making it sound like they've already ruled out Tua, Tua? without okay. that being official. Um, but Which makes knows? sense. I'll, Everybody yeah. thinks that was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I think because of all the investigation and stuff and Miami kind of being kind of being on, on the league shit list because of the Stephen Ross stuff. It would not shock me at all, Dave, if we don't see Tua for quite a while. Even if he's ready to come back this week, to not see him for a little bit. It's just one of those things. But if the Vikings see Teddy, I think the passing game is going to be just fine because Teddy's skill set is not too dissimilar from Tua's. And they'll be able to he'll be able to get the ball to guys like Jalen Waddle, Tyree kill in space and let them work. And I think that would be an easy way for the Vikings to, uh, Oh, thank you, Mary. Um, the, the Vikings defense to get beaten because you give Tyree kill the ball in space. He can do dangerous things. And Jalen Waddle is just the younger version of Tyree kill. So those two players can really make a major impact in terms of yards running with the football and making plays happen in the open field. They are awesome. And honestly, Tyree Kill, you could argue, is the best receiver in football. Um, I'm going to contend that it's Justin Jefferson, but you can. I think there is an argument to be made for Hill. And the running game, they these guys can't pass protect, but they can run block, and they can move people, and they run a – like you got to remember the Kyle Shanahan offense last year with San Francisco. That run game was designed by Mike McDaniel. He is creative. He understands how to use zone concepts, man gap power concepts, utilize motion, misdirection. They do a tremendous job of getting 
players in space so they can make plays happen. And he's got a familiar face back there in Raheem Mostert who understands all of it really well. Mm -hmm. So this could be a very dangerous matchup for the Vikings defense if they aren't careful. Now, the quarterback could be a major factor because if the quarterback is complete booty, then the running game is going to suffer because they're going to be able to key in on it. But if whoever plays quarterback can show early on that, hey, we can stretch you out, that's when things can get dangerous, and that's where the Vikings may have some struggles against the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Oh, Odie's back. Hi, buddy. <laughs> he's, being a, he's being a very oh. good boy. Actually, Dan says hope Miami has cold front 60 rather than 80. I did see something today. Uh, typical Floridians uh, showed a picture of putting socks on with their flip-flops because it is supposed to get colder. I can do a quick look to see what the weather forecast is on Sunday. That's I should have done that beforehand. Um, great to bring that up. Let's see. Miami, Florida. Boom. Ten days. And we look. Sunday. All right. 11 a.m. Which is noon our no one p.m. Which is noon our time. Forecast is eighty-five degrees. Nine percent chance of rain, and it will be that way through the entire game. So it should be a nice what? temperature. So the nine percent chance of rain does that equate to humidity too, or no? Uh, humidity is right around. I'm showing it here. Let's see. Humidity is the green. Right around 50, 50, upper 50s to lower 60s percentile. That's not too bad. Could be a lot, a lot worse. For Florida, that's pretty good. That's that's great for Florida. And there yeah, I just I'm... did it. <laughs> I locked my computer screen. Well, Dave, that's not something that, that is good. Um, I'll say no. this. The, the Vikings need to be careful uh, when, they, when they go up against the Miami Dolphins because this screams trap game. The Vikings are 4-1. and one. They could easily be, hey, we're in Miami. We have a bye next week. Like, we'll go in and we'll oh, win this piece not. of cake. Especially if uh, the, the Dolphins end up starting Skylar Thompson, seventh-round rookie. Like they need to be careful going into this. I I'm not I saying. Hope, I hope we do not see that. That is something Kevin O'Connell needs to keep a thumb on this week to make sure that sort of attitude doesn't happen. They need to go in there knowing that there is enough players on both sides of the Dolphins squad. The Dolphins is not a bad team. That uh, if they go in and say, "Hey, all we're thinking about is South Beach." They're going to get their butts beat. They don't need to do that. They need to be thinking about, we need to go out strong in this first segment of the season and go into the bye week and self-scout and improve from there, period. Yeah. Honestly, I, I agree, but it is something that you need to keep in mind because better teams have done the exact same thing. Look ahead to another week. And that needs to stay in the Vikings' head. One thing that I want to really focus on with this Vikings team this week, um, let's talk about Kirk Cousins one more time, then we're going to wrap the show up. Something I want people to keep an eye on, it's called a high-low read. And it's something Mm -hmm. that uh, Luke Braun and I have been talking about on Twitter today. Now, here's a high-low read. So when Kirk Cousins is rolling out and he throws to the flat or he throws to a receiver about 10 yards down the field, He's reading the cornerback. Now, he's gotten baited a couple times, and he's thrown interceptions, including the one yesterday. The cornerback baited him on the throw and ended up jumping it and getting an interception. And he even had post-game comments talking about that play and others and how they've influenced them, and he's not looking at each play in a vacuum while he's, while he's running it, but he's more so looking at uh, each play as a whole. And they were asked him about that interception. Um, he's like, yeah, and this is verbatim. 
yeah, that was an example of allowing previous plays to influence your decision instead of just running the play in a vacuum. I had taken that flat route so many times and a couple times last week, time earlier in the game with Irv, a guy was open somewhere else, and I was kind of allowing those plays to start to try to hunt something up that really I should have just said, let's just play this in a vacuum in its own entity and take the guy that's open in the flat and settle for a shorter gain if it's a shorter gain instead of using trying to use previous reps to hunt something up that really wasn't there. And I think that's an important one because Cousins sometimes just looks at history and doesn't and thinks, oh, if this if I see the same look again and again and again, it's going to always be the exact same situation. That's just not really how it is. And him admitting that and understanding, hey, I can't just look at each play in a vacuum because it's just not. And especially with how many times they use that style of play where they put the cornerback in conflict to try and determine, hey, do I throw it short or do I throw it long? Kirk in the last couple of weeks has hesitated throwing that corner because of that corner or that uh yeah, that whether it be right. the previous week on the left side pass where he should have gone deeper in the end zone, or the right side pass where he dumped it off to Munt and Munt dropped it, right? Going that would have been a first down possible touchdown when Thielen was open behind him. And in this game, when he went to the flat, I think it was Munt again. And Thielen was wide open coming across the middle. If he gets, he's learning. It's now entered his consciousness. That's a good thing. It wasn't there. Mike Zimmer would have said, no, you do this. You do this. You take the, you take the sure play. This is good. This is Kevin O'Connell getting in. Remember at the beginning of the season when he said, no, I want you to push that ball to this read, right? Rather than coming off that first read and then coming down, he goes, no, stick with that first read longer. This is very similar to that where Kevin O'Connell is getting in, into his head and saying, don't go on previous. Don't go on the, the memory written into your machine, the robotic memory, right? No. Look at this as its own entity. Yes, is... Month coming across the front, yes, I can get that. But did it put a corner in conflict, and now I've got Adam Thielen, who's open 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. I should better take that because I can make the throw. We get more um, advantage for making that throw. We get the first down, if not more, and we keep the ball going better. We're more effective, more efficient. And he should mm-hmm. be going, you know, I want to be more efficient for each play and be able to adjust my programming. You know, people have talked about he's a robot. Well, let's – Kevin O'Connell is working on tweaking that logic in his mind. So hopefully that's a good thing. And if Kirk's recognizing it and talking about it publicly, that never happened under Zimmer. That is a good thing. It is a very good thing because – um Self-deprecation, I think, might be might not be the perfect way to say it, but admitting your faults is a good thing, especially in this setting, because football is a very weird business. It's not like my old jobs. It's not like I, I go into my liquor store, run it, and then I go home. I don't have to answer to a press conference the second I'm done with my shift. Oh, why didn't you stock this when it was at this many bottles? Oh, I decided not to. Um, like There were those little things that – like you it's it's just a different world and i i love that kirk is admitting it and those he admitted it after the saints game too there were missed opportunities but the problem is that same missed opportunity presented himself and he didn't take it and if we see that again against the miami dolphins where they have that corner in conflict the corner route is open and they don't take it we're going to have ourselves a trend, and then that's going to be alarming as far as the success of this offense down the line. But and the fact that he caught it after the fact. But he caught it last catch, week too. Yeah, but he, expect yeah, him that, to catch it before the fact this next game. Yeah, and that's what I'm going to be looking for. If he if he fixes that issue and he makes that throw, great. <laughs> there is no harm about it. Uh, but there's a chance that he it stays consistent with it, so we'll see. Uh, Keep an eye out on that. Whenever you see Kirk roll out, 
You're going to have a short route. You're going to have an intermediate route. And that cornerback in between is going to be in conflict. Wherever the corner commits to is where you're supposed to throw the football. Mm -hmm. That's going to determine if he's figured it out or not. And it's, I'm very intrigued. Joseph, yes, the Packers lost. U.S. Bank Stadium got to watch the end of that game and erupted because the Packers lost. And the, the three Packer fans that were wearing their Aaron Rodgers jerseys, I'm sure, were not very happy because, as the saying goes, Dave, there's always one. Uh-huh. Well, uh, Joseph, you t- I talked about this be about liquid happiness in a, in a glass. <laughs> Packers losing just adds to that. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, Dave, with that, that is our show. Next week, we will be talking about the Dolphins, and we will be doing like a a wrap of what the first six weeks have brought, talk about some stats, and talk about, hey, what are the Vikings right now, and how do they project moving forward? The week after, we are going to be previewing the game, I believe. Yep. (laughs) I believe the game will be against the Washington Commanders in Washington which will be the first time that Kirk has returned to Washington since he ended up joining the Minnesota Vikings. That is going to be something. Don't think so. The commanders are pretty quick. Right, but I don't think that's the game after the bye. I think the game after the bye is the Cardinals. Let's see. Scroll down. Yes, we had a bye week seven, Cardinals week eight, and then we have. The Washington okay. Commies on uh, week nine. So the Cardinals not, are at home in U.S. Bank, by the way. We will not be previewing the Commanders game in two weeks. We will be previewing the, the Cardinals. Cardinals game. And we will be talking to Nick Olson uh, from Kindred Schools, also part of the Climate Fucking Network. He also writes for Zone Coverage. Uh, make sure that you follow all the great work that Nick does because he is one of the smartest people that you will ever come across when talking football. We're going to talk about Vikings scheme. We're going to talk about uh, where the Vikings are at, how they project out moving forward. And we're going to do all of that and more um, with Nick here in two weeks. Next week is going to be a a wrap-up of what we have seen thus far. And then we're going to preview everything moving forward the following week. So that is what we have coming up. Dave, what does the network have coming up this week? The network has coming up. We do have a Viking hot takes tomorrow night. I've already got the six questions. Three each. Three from the great and wonderful Flip Mozzie and three from Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman. They'll be going at it tomorrow night at 8.30. And we'll asking some pertinent questions and giving their hot takes. Wednesday, we have Vikings happy hour. Miles Gorm returns. He's not going to be on the next two weeks in a row, so this should be wild. We'll have a guest picker again. We may even have a guest. Who? Let's see. Celebrity picker. Who are they going to pick against Vikings in Miami? Are they going to pick Miami, or are they going to pick our Vikings? Mind you, it's a Vikings media person, so we shall see. And then we come back to Saturday, where you have myself and Darren as the two old bloggers over two decades, each commenting on this team, backing up our stuff with some facts, with some numbers even. And we'll break down that Miami game and just how we can win how we can beat them and go into the bye at five and one. Could it be? I hope it is. We should be happy. If it's five and one, it'll be a great, great start. But you got to remember, this team has some holes that it needs to repair and constantly improve. And here at Climb in the Pocket, we're going to be with you through all those steps and helping the team do just that. I have one little thing. GMAC, PM me either on Twitter or on Facebook, and I'll send you the numbers you requested. Until then, what do we say? 
Odie says Skull Vikings, and Odie knows best. Our Monday Purple. Mm-hmm. Odie does know best. Skull Vikings, thank you very much for joining us. Make sure you like, subscribe, do all the fun things to really help it us does out, help us. So, we, so we can continue to provide one great Vikings content, and two, we can get people to help sponsor us, which can help grow the platform even more mm-hmm. and help spread the joy of purple. And with that, from Dave, myself, Tyler, and the beautiful little Odie. There Where is he? he is. Yeah, I can see him hiding in his kennel behind the door. There, there he, he is, is, chewing on the kennel. Skull Vikings, everyone. Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.